Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hello, friends. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are, whether that's in Toronto, Lisbon or Antwerp, Belgium. And if you're a new listener to the show, I wanted to give you a special welcome to the podcast and I wanted to thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Sandy Young, whom I met at FinCon. Her book, The Money Master, Inside Secrets on How to Make Your Money Grow and Stay Safe, is currently being printed and will be released in early 2020. And in this episode, we will discuss a few themes that are covered in the book with special attention to investing in the stock market. We will dispel some common myths around investing in the stock market, such as should you follow the financial news every day? Should you buy in the latest uh, hot stocks such as Tesla, Netflix, Amazon? Sandy will also explain some fundamental concepts, help you not overpaying fees, etc. In short, she will guide you to become more comfortable with the idea of getting started in the stock markets. And it is true, it might look scary and complicated from the outside, but as you will see, it is not. We also discuss the more controversial subject of investing in cannabis stocks. Along with that as well, we will discuss Sandy's real estate investing experience so far. And last but not least, we will go through Sandy's personal finance journey and the money lessons she learned growing up. This episode is for you if you're interested in getting into the stock markets but have not taken the plunge just yet because of what you have heard around you or seen in the media, between brackets, the common myth. And regarding Sandy's book, make sure you stay until the end of the conversation as Sandy may have something interesting in store for you. Just a last note before we head on to the interview, please note that whatever we discuss, it is not financial advice, even though we might both seem excited about talking investments and stock markets. And with that out of the way, let's hear what Sandy has to tell us. Hello, Sandy. How are you doing today? I'm great, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Uh, excited to have you here on the show uh, because, uh, yeah, I met you at uh, FinCon and we... You, um, we're presenting your book, which we will uh, discuss about later on uh, in the show. And uh, yeah, what we, what uh, I wanted to discuss with you is to do it yourself investments for millennials, uh, because you've been experienced with that for about ten years, I think. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. But it's actually it started with your story where you invested your uh, savings in mutual funds. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So for the listeners who don't know me, um, for myself, I graduated in 2009 uh, from business school, right in the middle of the economic recession. And I was fortunate enough to land uh, a conference planning job um, within the hospitality and tourism industry. And I knew right away from graduation that I had to pay off my tuition um, and start putting aside my hard-earned money. And I knew that I had to start investing. For me, I, just like most people, I went to one of the big banks here in Canada and I put all my trust and faith into one of the financial reps at the bank. Mm -hmm. And they had told me, they're like, hey, you know, this oil and gas uh, mutual fund is doing really well. You should, you should put all your money there. And, And I didn't know any better. So I was like, okay, sure. Why not? Um, not knowing at the time that it had high hidden fees um, and it was very high risk. And the first couple of months I did very well. And then shortly after that, I started losing thousands of dollars and I was like, what's going on? And I was so upset. And um, from there, a friend of mine 
recommended me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that's that was my first book that I read in the personal finance realm. And that immediately got me hooked to reading more about personal finance and investing books and to take matters into my own hands to do self-directed investing. Mm -hmm. And you said you studied business, you you were graduate as a in finance or accounting or uh I have a bachelor's of commerce degree mm -hmm. um from hospitality and tourism management. Okay, okay, just uh just wanted to know because I graduated from uh, I mean I have a master's in finance. Mhm. Mm okay. Yes, and uh, the thing is even though I I had this I had this degree, you know, we learned a lot of things, accounting, um Economics. You know, like economics, marketing principles, how to help other companies make money, but not mm -hmm. to make money on your own. Like how, not how to, how to invest in the stock markets yourself, not how mm -hmm. to, to manage your own finance, which is kind of odd, but okay, it's like this. Um, okay, but you get, the, you get the tools to accelerate your knowledge, but a proper course in personal finance, that was not there. So that's, uh, that's a little funny, you know, when you think of it, when you have a commercial... Uh, studies and you don't learn this yeah same here exact exact same boat where you they teach you about corporate finance but not about personal finance yeah exactly then so you back to your story you you go then to this mutual fund you read rich dad poor dad and a new world opens to you <laughs> yes it did it definitely did because uh because we didn't learn it in school um you know i, I took the initiative to start reading personal finance mm -hmm. books and, and blogs and just going to the library and just learning as much as i could in order to set myself up for the next 45 years of my working career to make sure that i was on the right track because i knew from like early on i just started losing money and um when you're not earning that much in the hospitality industry and you're putting in um overtime hours and not getting paid overtime like every dollar really matters and and when you're losing that hard earned money like emotionally for me like it was a roller coaster ride and i was just so disappointed and so frustrated so i, I definitely wanted to turn that around yeah i understand so is it by reading Richard porter that you then started to do the do-it-yourself investing Uh, it it definitely took um a bit of time it wasn't mm -hmm. like an overnight thing um i did spend um quite some time reading personal finance books and just doing the research and making sure that I was setting myself up properly. So there are definitely some uh, like step-by-steps things that I had to do in order to even get to the point of investing, like making sure that I set up a budget, making sure that I'm saving um, and setting aside money from each paycheck or automate um, my savings Uh, and keeping track of everything and reviewing my finances um, on a weekly or monthly basis. So it was there when I had the stepping stones. And then gradually, when I had enough money set aside, I looked into different online brokerages and did the research there to see which one was the best suited for me. And then I made the switch to take all my money out of mutual funds and then do self-directed investing. But it, it did take... Um, probably good yeah several months if not a, like a year or so just mm -hmm. to make that full transition but i mean nowadays technology they're making it easier and easier for consumers to set up um online brokerages in a few minutes but you definitely want to do the preparation and making sure that you 
have a diversified portfolio and you understand your risk tolerance, things like that, um, in order to jump into self-directed investing because it it isn't for everyone and there's definitely other ways to invest. Um, but for me, that was that was my chosen path that I thought was good for me. Yeah, excellent. And when you say self-directed invest investment, uh, what do you mean by that? Is that you choose yourself what you want to invest in, whether that's an index fund or a an individual stock? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would categorize investing into kind of three major buckets. First, you have um, self-directed investing where you do everything yourself. Uh, you have your own online brokerage and you're basically cutting out the middleman and it's the most cost-effective way to do in investing. But the, uh, um, well, I wouldn't say it's a downside, but you know, it does take time to learn how to set up your own investment portfolio and you have to put all your emotions in check and make sure that you are following your, your path. Now, there's also the second bucket where you can go with a financial planner, financial advisor, a professional who can guide you through the steps. They can review your whole, your entire financial plan, your goals, and they can help guide you along the way. And the benefits of that is that they can make sure that you're not making the mistakes if you were to do it your own. Um, but then you are paying for their service uh, and their time. So it, it will be, um, you, you will have to pay say annual fees. Then the other option, which is kind of coming to the market the past couple of years is robo uh, advisor investing. And this is where you have the hybrid of technology and uh, human touch and you combine it together where you can fill it on a questionnaire and it will recommend a portfolio for you and um, it can help to manage your, your portfolio uh, based on these technologies technological algorithms. So there's also that as well. So it, you really have to take the time to think about which one is right for you and there's pros and cons to each one. Mm -hmm. And just before we go deeper in the details of uh, investing itself, I uh, just want to circle back to the mutual fund uh, story because you mm -hmm. say, look, um, I went to the bank, I got advised this oil and gas uh, mutual fund that uh, lost uh, <laughs> and I lost all my money. What was the change that because you invest in the stock markets in a way, and then one year later, okay, you read the books, you get educated, and you you try your your luck again. I would say, how come you you were not afraid? Maybe you could have gone into real estate or another investment type, but you you chose to to go back to to um to to the stock markets. How come you you managed to overcome that fear? I would say. Mm. Yeah, for me. Um Uh, for me, I would say that I took calculated risks, right? Um, mm -hmm. And being able to arm myself with the knowledge based on these personal finance experts uh, from Warren Buffett, Robert Kiyosaki, David Bach, Susie Orman, like there's so many of them out there. And I was able to collect all of their wisdom and expertise and create my own portfolio, find the right brokerage. And um, because I was more educated, I felt that I, I was comfortable enough to start self-directed investing. But I definitely understand for people out there, it's very common to feel intimidated or feel overwhelmed when it comes to stock market investing. Because let's face it, um, 
you know, big companies out there, they want to make it seem complicated. Uh, <laughs> so you can hire a financial advisor, um, pay for their services. But uh, in reality, once you know the basics, it's it's very simple and and um, and easy to set it up and, and to manage uh, over the year. So uh, for me, I just, I felt like because I had lost money and I felt that pain um, that I just wanted to prove to myself that I could be successful with it and um, to know that it's okay to make mistakes. I mean, I still make mistakes all the time. Um, and that's just a p- part of being human, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's okay. Like, it's it's totally normal to 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 go through those mistakes, and that's where you learn from it and and get better at it each time. So, I would say that it's it's uh, don't let fear get in the way and stop you from. Uh, achieving financial success because in order for people to retire these days, investing is so crucial. Like I, it, it really is an important pillar to um, reach your financial goals and those milestones in life. So, um, you know, if if you really want it, you'll find a way to to figure it out and to get there. Yeah, and uh, when I tell you know my network in general in. Uh, I say, yeah, I invest in stocks, I invest in this and that, and, and it will help me later on to to accumulate some wealth to protect me and to to yeah, just to get to go around financially to be to feel financially secure. So it's one of the pillars I'm uh, working on or I'm investing in regularly. Mm-hmm. And then the, the response I get is uh, mostly yeah, people okay, they get it, etc. And then they ask more detailed questions. But the reaction I often get is indeed. Uh, yeah, but uh, the stock markets—it's so risky. Uh, oh, maybe you need, I need to track it every day. I'm like, no, no, you—you you just need to, to to follow it. Of course, you need to follow it, but not every day. You don't need to follow the news every day. You don't need to read about it every day. Make your research, and then you okay, can track it every three months, six months, or a year, depending on maybe in the start you want to track it a bit uh, um, more frequently. But at, in the long run, you can just you know, space out your, um, your checks. You can do it every three months, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's really like people really, they have this ideas, like you see in the movies, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street or, <laughs> or whatnot that, yeah, you know, it's a dynamic market. It's uh, people are calling and they, they make trades all day. <laughs> so people confuse investing and trading as well. So, you know, just because right. of the movies the, and the headlines in the newspaper. So, so what do you say to, to the people that have those fears which are common, which are understandable, how do they need to overcome this fear? By reading, by educating themselves as you did? Yeah. So um, I, I <laughs> definitely, I actually quite li- enjoyed watching The Wolf of Wall Street, even though it was kind of sad. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I do talk to friends um, and uh, even lately they're like, hey, Sandy, like uh, I want to take this investing course and learn what to f- and learn what are the hottest stocks. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, you just sound like you want to be a day trader, which I mean, by all means, if that's what you want to do, sure. But I mean, uh, <laughs> it, it can be extremely hard and very time consuming. And for myself, like I like to think that uh, I'm a lazy investor. And one of my favorite blogs is um, called uh, the Canadian Couch Potato by Dan Bortolotti. And that's where I learned um, how to 
do the lazy way of investing. And that's with either investing in index funds or um, uh, exchange rated funds are known as ETFs mm -hmm. and just be able to diversify your portfolio and, and you can buy the entire stock market these days uh, or the whole entire world and, and just set it and forget it um, in a sense. So do you really need to figure out all the hottest stocks? I don't think so. Um, and, and I think it also goes down to, it comes down to like human psychology and the ego, because uh, I find that when I talk to <laughs> some of my friends and colleagues, um, it's almost as if it's, it's like gambling to them or they, yes. or they, they think that they can, they can beat the market and, and studies show time and time again, like, I mean, either like half the people will beat the markets and the other half will fail. So why not just follow the market? And um, like how you and I were just talking before that, uh, even to have a six to 8% um, interest um, rate like year after year, like growth, that's really, really good. Uh, and any better than that, I mean, that's just icing on the cake. So um, it really doesn't have to be that complicated and um, and you can easily figure out what your risk tolerance is and and have portfolio recommendations. And uh, I would just say like, yeah, buy, buy the whole entire market, diversify. You don't have to pick and choose individual stocks. Um, you know, you can leave it up to the Warren Buffett. So the world to, to do that and um and you can still be very successful with an, an average market return. Yeah, absolutely. Six to eight percent to me, it's already uh, fantastic. I mean, uh, if you can manage that mm -hmm. with an eight percent, you can double your investment in nine years uh, based on the rule of, of 72. So imagine if you do that over 20, 30, 40 years, then uh, you're, you're set up for a great success financially without too much effort, the lazy way as you're uh, <laughs> and that's what I like about it. It's uh, just relying on the, um, the effect of compound interest. Uh, but Sandy, and then uh, you, so you started to invest yourself. How are you, for example, investing? Do you allocate your port stock portfolio mostly in uh, ETFs and index funds? Or do you do as well, uh, yeah, do you also invest in individual stocks? Uh, for myself, my portfolio consists of ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Mm-hmm. Um, although my husband uh, invests in um, index funds, um, but I mean they're 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 pretty similar. I, they're not quite the same, but they are very similar. And uh, for myself, I don't invest in individual companies. Um, like the only closest one would be the Berkshire Hathaway uh, BRK.B um, from Warren Buffett, um, where he chooses his what which companies he likes to invest in. That would be like the only stock that I have uh, currently invest in. Um, yeah, but for myself, I just think that it's important to have a good balance of, um, you know, global funds, whether Canadian, U.S. international funds, um, a mix of stocks and bonds, because stocks generate um, you know, you typically generate um, higher interest, but then the bonds are what gives you the stability in times of recession. Correct. And you can also have a mix of different sectors like um, financials, technology, cannabis um, to real estate, um, 
gold, minerals, whatnot. So there's all these different industries you can choose from, but I think that it's important to uh, have your eggs in many baskets. And that way, no matter if the market's going up and down, like you still can sleep at night. Um, whereas you put all your eggs in one basket, say in if you only invest in cannabis or only invest in cryptocurrency, then you can be putting yourself in um, very high risk and you could be losing money overnight. So you really have to understand like how much are you willing to lose because um, markets do go, they do fluctuate. So um, I think it's important to know how, how much you're willing to lose and um, to think long-term as well. For myself, I think about the long-term passive investing approach, whereas some people might be more the active day trading approach. And there's no right or wrong answer and people can still make money both ways. But from the many experts that I've been following for the past decade, they tend to favor the long-term passive investing approach. Yeah. And just for the listeners, uh, Sandy, could you explain uh, briefly what's the difference between a mutual fund, an index fund and an ETF? Because these are uh, often used interchangeably, but they're a little bit different. They're very similar, but still different. Can you, could you uh, explain it? Sure. Yeah. So um, they're kind of like cousins, but mm -hmm. <laughs> there's some similarities and some differences. Um, and you can add in if there's anything I'm missing. But for the mutual funds, um, you go to one of your big banks and, and a uh, uh, financial um, rep will can tell you mutual funds. But uh, and they follow the stock market. Um, usually they have a basket of different um, stocks and it's like grouped together into one. So you're buying um, a bunch of different um like say different companies all in one fund. Mm -hmm. So it's very convenient that way. Uh, the only thing with mutual funds is that they get a bad rap because of the fact that they tend to have two to 3% um, annual fees. And whether you're making money or losing money, there's the bank's still charging you these fees. And they could have management fees, um, other transaction fees, no load fees. Uh, there's just so many. And the thing is in Canada... We don't typically have that transparency, not yet. So consumers don't even know that they're paying all of these hidden costs. Okay. Um, and, and you can get a very similar fund, um, say Canadian um, equity, like investing in all the Canadian um, all the Canadian companies. You can get it in a mutual fund or you can get it in an exchange-traded fund. But the exchange-traded fund, this one you can – it will – you can invest during – when the stock market is open, um, like during the day, you can you can trade in real time. Whereas like a mutual fund or index fund, you typically would trade um, at the end of the day or the after hours. And with an exchange traded fund, there's typically the fees could be 0.05 to like 0.75. And that's kind of on the high range. Mm -hmm. um, so you're paying a fraction of the cost to have you can have the same type of funds but at a at a reduced cost um and they say that the most in order to be financially successful one of the best ways you can do that is to reduce your your fees and your expenses in your portfolio and um the index fund 
uh, very similar to a mutual fund. But again, you can um, typically your bank will have um, an online um, online firm, and you can buy um, index funds through your bank. Uh, but I think sometimes there could be minimums as well. So you have to ask your bank, like, if there's a certain minimum amount that you need. But with index funds, the great part is that usually you don't have to um, pay um, a transaction fee every time you're buying it. Whereas an exchange-traded fund, um, you have to pay, say, $10 for every transaction, every time you um, buy or sell. So those fees can add up. So you have to really think about how often you're planning to buy and sell um, because, again, those fees will could add up as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a buy and hold guy, so that's uh, that's quite all right for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I like to, I mean, I, I personally have I have shared it on, uh, on another podcast uh, from, from Man Overseas. I'm... Uh, I have most of my uh, stock portfolio is in ETFs and index funds, and but I like as well to dabble into um, stock picking, etc. Because then it, I go into the, the the financials of the company, I go into the business, and probably this is back linked back to to my studies. But I really like to to understand where the company is going, etc. And mm-hmm. it gives me as well confidence. It's not for everybody; it takes some time, mm-hmm. but I, I would recommend to do it anyway. And mm-hmm. uh, talking about individual stocks, so uh, yeah, I uh, read your book. Uh, thank you for the copy you, you you provided to me. And you you even talk about uh, there's a chapter on, of course, on uh, investing in the stocks, but there's even a chapter uh, where you deal with cryptocurrencies and cannabis investing. So uh, of course, uh, the cannabis investing is the first one I went to look at when I uh, received your copy. Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrency, I've already talked about it on the show, and I even had Ivan on tech in, uh, on the 7th of November in the podcast. So maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, cannabis investing, because that's been a trend, especially in, you're from Canada. So I know it has been probably the first country in the world to legalize it. So doesn't that represent a huge uh, potential for investors? Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, cannabis investing has been uh, quite the hot topic, uh, a lot of buzz around it the past um, year or two. And um, yeah, Canada has now legalized marijuana and uh, there's definitely been some polarized views on that. Um, and in terms of investing in the cannabis industry, I did interview Mark Noble from Horizons ETFs, as well as Stephen Chan from Supreme, uh, the Supreme Company, which is also um, a cannabis company. And, you know, both of them have um, mentioned to me when I had interviewed them was the fact that, yes, like cannabis investing, it, it is definitely a growing industry. Um, there's a lot of hype around it. And it's it's kind of like those days where Amazon was just coming out and and people want to be at the forefront of something revolutionary mm-hmm. or something big, right? They want to be at the the front and and see something grow, which is great. Uh, but people also need to look into the um, what's going on behind the scenes, right? To do their research, to understand the fundamentals of the companies. Um, like, are these cannabis companies, are they making money? Is there growth? And you have all these celebrities backing them up, but is it just smoke and mirrors? And and really, 
are they going to last uh, even like five years from now? Because chances are there will probably be some companies that will fail or they'll get bought out and there'll be mergers and acquisitions. So um, it's it's hard to say what's going to happen. No one really knows. Um, but the the companies that do succeed, I'm sure they will flourish and uh, exceed all expectations. But there will be other companies who just won't survive. Yeah. And as an investor, um, you know, I I know I know people who have made a lot of money in cannabis investing, um, but then the next month they lose it all. <laughs> and you can make. I don't even know, like double digits or maybe even triple digit returns, which is outrageous. Um, also great. But then you could lose it all. You can lose double or triple digits. So I would say that if you if it's something you really want to do, definitely take the time to do your research, understand the companies, what you're investing in, and to see if they have potential. And then also maybe just take a small portion of your portfolio, um, even if it's a couple hundred dollars or very small percentage that you're willing to uh, um, put into cannabis investing. And I call it fun money or play money that um, you'd be willing to lose and just play around with it. And there's also marijuana ETFs, exchange traded funds, where they you can buy, oh, say, 20, 30 different um, marijuana companies um, in one fund and um and just track it from there so i mean yeah as long as you know what your limit is and and how much you're willing to uh tolerate with with the very 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 high volatility then um you know it's it's always it it doesn't hurt to dabble in it uh but i definitely wouldn't recommend putting all your life savings <laughs> in and hoping that you can just retire Right cannabis. Away. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very high risk industry. So, just you know, buyer beware. That's all. Yeah. And um, maybe just something else. Tesla company, is that something you, you've been following or not? Uh, it's, some, it's a topic that often comes uh, at lunch <laughs> with my colleagues. And, and the thing <laughs> is, I have no real opinion on Tesla because I just haven't taken the time yet to. Uh, to to go through the financials myself and to really read a few reports, I didn't do my research. So so I have no. Um, I I feel it would be late to invest to to benefit from the huge potential or the hype. So I don't know if for me today I don't know because I haven't done the I don't have a specific opinion on Tesla. But do you have one or is it as similar as to cannabis that it, it's an overhyped stock or not? I don't know. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So I would say with Tesla, okay, I don't currently invest in Tesla. Um, um, I do have flashback memories because I remember back in probably 2014, a friend of mine had said, Oh, Tesla, it was, I think it was valued at, it was currently at a hundred dollars a share. Um, and he was like, yeah, like Tesla has so much potential. Like you should really look into it. But for me at the time, like back in 2014, um, even now, like I, I rarely ever invest in one one stock, right? Um, so now I think I don't even know what it's valued. I think at today, it's about four hundred dollars. I think. So, oh my like gosh! This. Yeah. So I mean, I I mean, I could tell you now. Hey, my friend was right. Like he told me in in twenty yeah probably twenty thirteen twenty fourteen that was hundred dollars. And if I had taken advice, I probably would make a lot of money right now. Um, but I mean, it's definitely gone through 
um, like just from hearing the news, like it's gone through ups and downs and um, there's been a lot of controversy with Elon Musk and some of the things he says on Twitter. Um, but I mean, as a, and I'm, I don't know, it's, it's tough because it's really great that he's, he's um, building all of this really innovative technology with SpaceX and, um, and really pushing the, the boundaries of, uh, of electric cars, um, and just being able to transport people from place to place. I think that's fascinating. Um, for me, I think personally, I would love to own a Tesla. <laughs> that would be like my my investment. Probably not so much in the in the stocks, mm-hmm. not so much shares, but um, and I do have a cousin who works at Tesla, so um, I, I I just love the 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 car brand and and the Tesla itself. And my husband and I have actually test driven a Tesla a couple of times, and it's it's been on our dream board. Um, and it's so funny because so Tesla is not cheap, as you know, like it's it's a pretty penny, but then people who have one, they say it's amazing. And so, um, there's a lot of potential there. Um, and I remember we had a Tesla on our, on our vision board <laughs> as one of our goals that we wanted to achieve. And then after attending the FinCon, um, conference in Washington a couple months ago, and everyone was talking about their, their financial independence date and how they want to retire early. And then we watched the documentary playing at fire. I don't know. Were you there to, to see the film that, that, um, uh, at no, the I didn't, uh, I didn't fire? attend that one. Oh, okay. So basically they document a couple trying to, um, they, kind of downsized their lifestyle because they're living really extravagantly and um, they downgraded and really changed the way that they started saving and investing. And they were trying to hit their um, FI number, financial independence mm-hmm. number and their date. And after watching that film, um, my husband and I turned to each other. We're like, oh, should we really get the Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> we're like, how many more years do we have to work our corporate jobs in order to have a Tesla? So now we're kind of in this weird limbo. And then you have people like Ramit Sethi, who was a keynote speaker at a conference, who's like, you know, uh, eliminate all of your um uh, all the things you don't care about, but expend extravagantly on things you do. <laughs> so we've got like these two different thoughts, like, oh, should we just spend really extravagantly on the Tesla and because we deserve it? Or, oh, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we just drive a, you know, cheap car. And but but in, in your in your book, you say, uh, well, if if you're a car guy or if you if you really want something, you should go for it as well. So <laughs> it looks like you're in Camp Ramit on the Tesla, at least. <laughs> I do. It's, it is an amazing car, but um, uh, do I own shares of it? Not, not at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Sandy, back to stocks or uh, investing in general. Is investing in stocks the only way to to um, reach financial independence or to to um, to protect yourself in uh, financially in uh, retirement? Or are there other ways to to build wealth? Yes, there's definitely other ways. I mean, I think that the most common way, and when I uh, meet people or listen to podcasts of uh, people who have already reached financial independence, I feel like the stock market is one of the most common ways mm-hmm. um, to do so um, because you could live off your dividends or your interest and, and whatnot. But uh, for myself, my husband and I, we are also real estate investors. We currently have um, two 
um, condo units where we rent out to tenants. And then we have a third one coming up in uh, the summer of 2021. And we're slowly growing our real estate investment portfolio because we feel that rental income is also a great way to have ongoing income. And also when your property value increases over the long term, that will also help fund our retirement. And we just really enjoy real estate investing. I mean, it's one of our passions as well. Um, and it's something that I'm I'm actively learning uh, and uh, and and uh, yeah, just learning more and practicing being a landlord mm-hmm. is, um, yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of fun. I mean, still work, but they're, I mean, real estate investing is different than stock market investing, but they're, it's important in order to become a millionaire. Um, studies show that millionaires, uh, self made millionaires, have at least three, four, five, six, seven streams of income. So it's important to, diversify that as well yeah and you don't have headaches at night from um, your real estate i mean your um your properties like for example there's some leakage or there's i don't know what uh, there's some uh, problems with the neighbors there's some noise there's this and that the, the washing machine to replace oh my god how did you know <laughs> that's so true we did like last uh, last year, uh, one of our units experienced a flood from one of the floors above us. So we had some minor um, floorboard and baseboard damage that we had to get repaired. And then, uh, the, yeah, our washing machine was at least a decade old. So that was getting run down. So we had to buy our new washing machine a couple of months ago. So, I yeah, I mean, we, we do incur headaches, but f- fortunately enough, my husband and I, we support each other and we, we problem solve these issues together. And, and we were using a property management company for a year just to kind of see if that was a good fit. But then, of course, with a property management company, they do take a portion of your rental income. And so we've decided to kind of um, take back the responsibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is definitely more a hands-on approach. Um, but for us... Like we just we just think that it's it's a, a great opportunity to do um, real estate investing on a part time basis for the time being while while still having our full time careers and just being able to grow our our multiple streams of income that way. Yeah, excellent. And what would you say to somebody just starting out in in his career or? Uh, in his financial path, um, for example, somebody that is just 25 or 30, uh, would you say start with stocks or start with saving up for down payment for your for your apartment? Or uh, what, what would you say to that person? Hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, there could be definitely <laughs> different scenarios with that. Um, I think, yeah, it just really depends on the individual it depends on where they live like what city because real estate in different cities or towns can vary drastically um because for myself living in toronto we have one of the most expensive real estate prices in all of canada pretty much is either toronto or vancouver so it's now it's getting tougher and tougher for young professionals and millennials to to become a homeowner and um, yeah, it can be very tough. Um, 
but it's a, I think it's a matter of setting a goal and setting a date, right? Really knowing like when do you want to own a piece of real estate? What type of real estate do you want? And what are you going to use it for? Are you going to be living in it, starting a family, or are you going to rent it out and put it on Airbnb? So there's, I mean, there's many ways to go about it. And depending on what type of property you get, you could live in it. And then also some people do house hacking where they rent out one of their bedrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of the stock market, I think there's a, a lot of misconception out there thinking uh, people think like, oh, they need a lot of money in order to invest in the stock market. But you can start as a little as, say, $1,000 um, saved up and you can put it into the stock market, buy an index fund, and um, and then keep um, putting aside money into the index fund every single month and then watching it grow. And I think that when you start off slowly and then you see your investment portfolio grow bit by bit, month by month, or if you get dividends from it, then it's encouraging. And then you build that confidence. And once you build that confidence, you can keep, um, you know, you can um, do more research and grow your portfolio. And I think it's just a matter of starting yeah, and just knowing what your financial goals are. What do you want to do well, with the money that you earn, your, your extra income and, uh, what kind of lifestyle that you want. So there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, it's just, it just depends on what you want to achieve. Okay. And did you start first with the real estate or first with stocks? I started off with stocks first, but of course now t- hindsight is 2020 and I wish I had, I had purchased a condo unit, say 10 years ago, because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it would have, oh my gosh, it probably would have like tripled in value by now. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm jealous of my friends who did do that. But I mean, hey, you know, it's 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 better late than never. And there's always going to be um, golden nuggets of opportunity in um, whether it's the stock market or real estate. There's always there's always opportunities. It's just a matter of whether you're prepared for it and you've done your research and and uh, you know what you're looking for. So, yeah, excellent. Uh, thank you, Sandy. And then uh, I was just curious um about where this, um, what was your, actually your uh, financial journey? Um, I mean, what was your, how did you grow up? Uh, what le- money lessons did you uh, learn when you grew up from your parents, from your entourage, from your school friends? Yeah, wow. Okay, so um, yeah, for me, it was, um, I definitely um had quite of a challenging upbringing you know my my family we were probably more on the the low income um low income family class and my father he worked in the restaurant industry he worked as a chef in in various uh chinese restaurants and he worked very hard and sometimes he would ha- juggle two jobs um, working full time, like nonstop and working in the restaurant industry as a chef can be very tiring and exhausting. Um, my mother, my, um, my late mother, she had uh, severe mental health issues and um, she struggled um, carrying a full time job. So she was a, a homemaker and she took care of me and my sister 
And um, so it, it was um, a struggle because my father would be the sole provider for our family. And we did have food on the table, but we never went on any family vacations. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just, just trying to make ends meet day to day. But my father was very diligent with it, with his money. Um, you know, he kept he he kept track of all the accounting and the and the books and making sure that all the bills were paid on time but um we didn't really splurge on anything extravagant so um yeah it was it was a struggle and um my mother being mentally ill sometimes she would take some of my father's hard-earned money and just donate to charity which i mean it's great to donate to a good cause but then uh, or, but some, sometimes she would just spend money frivolously. So even though it wasn't her earning the money, so it was really bizarre, uh, growing up because my mother depended on my father's income, but then she would just donate it or just buy random expensive things. Um, and, and so there was that struggle and we didn't, um, yeah, we didn't have too much. We just had the necessities. And so even when I was 14, I started working cash jobs because legally in Canada, you can't start working until you're 16. So I knew very early on <laughs> as a teenager that I had to earn my own money. And I had um, various part-time jobs throughout high school, throughout university. And I paid off my own student tuition, partly from uh, working um, summer jobs during university and then also working hard in my educational career to earn scholarships and bursaries to help pay for that. So for me, like I, I knew to become financially independent, uh, because, um, you know, I I wasn't really relying so much on the bank of mom and dad there, which I think was important for me to learn at a young age that, uh, how much I had to work to say, buy nice clothes (laughs) or go to the movies with my friends or, uh, go to birthday parties, uh, things like that. So yeah, you learn to work for it and, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, from there, I just, my dad just told me, you know, it's not so much how much you earn, but also how much you save. And that really stuck with me to, to know that I always had to put money aside for a rainy day because you never know if you ever come through and come across life emergencies. Um, and so, yeah, it was from there. I just, I just, um, put matters into my own hands and, and started learning how to become financially responsible. Yeah, I understand. I see. Well, that's uh, quite a story. And then um, in your book, you, you talk as well about uh, habits, um, that habits are important. This is a theme I really like. And I just wanted to, to ask you, uh, Sandy, for example, do you have two or three habits uh, that you practice that can help build wealth or uh, that can help you save money, for example? Yes. Um, in terms of habits oh gosh sometimes it's kind of like automated now right (laughs) but um in terms of like one of them would be that every every two weeks when i get paid from my full-time job i have um it automated where i set aside um you know several hundred dollars from my checkings account and it goes right to my savings account and i have an excel file which I know sounds very sexy, but I have an Excel <laughs> file that keeps track of, um, of how much I'm saving on an annual basis and then how much I project to save every single year um, up and 
yeah, up until say 65 uh, to make sure I'm on track. And then my husband and I, because we are, well, we're married and we have joint expenses. So we make sure that we keep track of our monthly joint expenses. Um, and then we also have to keep track of our, our rental income. And um, what else? We keep track to make sure that we're um, meeting our investment goals. So in Canada, we have a RRSP, which is a registered retirement savings plan, and a TFSA, which is the tax-free, um, the tax-free savings account. And just to check in on our uh, investment portfolios from time to time to make sure that they're stable, or if we need to, if they're out of balance, we need to rebalance them every six months or annually, and just to have conversations about it because. Um, I think in society we're not having enough conversations about money and that's why yeah. uh-huh. uh, you know people fight over it and they stress out about it but I think that when you're proactive you have your, your financial documents in order you make sure that you're you're keeping track of your goals and making adjustments along the way then those are good habits to have yeah absolutely I agree with uh, all of them uh, Sandy that's excellent and then um, Sandy we I think we were we are coming at the end of the show and uh Before uh, we leave, of course, I have my three quick fire questions. So number one, what is your best investment so far, Sandy? I would say that my best my best investment so far has been to invest in my own education. And I have been doing that by attending conferences, networking events, meeting people uh, who work in the personal finance industry and just really understanding what the trends are. Uh I spend my spare time reading personal finance books, listening to podcasts and just educating myself. And I think that it's important to have a philosophy of forever learning, especially since nowadays technology and advancements are just changing at such a rapid pace. Yeah. And it's, um, this reminds me the, the forever learning, it's like sharpening the saw like one of the highly eff- no the one of the habits of the highly effective people uh, of uh, Stephen Covey so yeah mm-hmm. very i absolutely agree with with that uh second uh, what is actually talking about books what is the favorite your favorite book that you would recommend to anyone and it does not need to be financial okay i recommend um one of the my favorite books i read recently is Rachel Hollis and she's come out with two books. One was called uh, Girl, Wash Your Face. And then the second one that came out recently is Girl, Stop Apologizing. And I think it's really important for women to really uh, dig deep into, um, uh, I guess, understanding like what helps motivate them in life and to figure out what their goals are. And Rachel Hollis is a really good motivational and self-help uh, speaker. And she's gone on tour with Tony Robbins, which is totally awesome. I just really love her message and she just really speaks the truth. And And I think that for any woman who's looking for a really great motivational book, Rachel Hollis is the one to, to follow. Okay, very good. I didn't know about her. Okay, I'll check it out as well. And I'll link it all up in the show notes for the listeners. And then the last questions, um, it's, I have changed my question actually, Sandy. Now okay. my, my new question is <laughs> you, what is the best purchase you made for un, under a hundred dollars? Oh, okay. <laughs> under a hundred dollars. 
Okay. A one of my favorite purchases that I made under $100 would be the 5-minute journal for my husband and I. And 5-minute journal is daily journaling where you spend the time in the morning to reflect on the things that you're grateful for, what goals you want to achieve for the day, and you also do your daily affirmations, mm-hmm. um, like I am statements, so things that you see yourself envisioning in the future, but you say in I am, like present tense, to envision yourself mm-hmm. having already achieved that. And at night, right before you go to bed, you read through what you've written in the morning, and then you reflect on what are the three amazing things that you've accomplished today, and how could you have made today even better. And I think the the books were like less than $30 each and it lasts for six months. And we've been doing this probably for close to five months now. Mm-hmm. And it's really helped to provide us focus um, in our day-to-day activities. It gives us gratitude for the things that we already have in our life and just the small, the small things um, when does, when someone does something nice for you and just to appreciate things in life and just puts us in a more positive mood. And I think it's a really great tool to have and, and anyone can pick it up uh, and start doing daily journaling and it, and it just helps to clear your mind. Mm-hmm. No, very good. And it, it's a, a bit of investing in yourself as well. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> no, excellent. And Sandy, actually I've been uh, mentioning the book and what we talk here on the show comes mostly from the the book and and your story and your findings during 10 years of experience. So can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, so my book is called The Money Master, Inside Secrets on How to Make Your Money Grow and Stay Safe. It has just gone to print, so it should be released uh, sometime in the new year of 2020. Uh, For my book, I talk about ways that you can create multiple streams of income, whether it's stock market investing, real estate investing, and also to become an entrepreneur because nowadays there's so many people out there having side hustles and turning that into their full-time careers from that. So I talk about that and I focus mainly on uh, female millennials who want to, um, to grow their investments and to become financially independent from that. Uh, I have also, as you mentioned, interviewed several financial industry experts, such as Alan Roseman from the Toronto Star, Gloria Young from Remax Real Estate, and Mark Noble from Horizons ETFs. I'm also super proud to be partnering with a fabulous mental health organization called CAMH, the Center of Addiction and Mental Health uh, here in Canada. So every book purchase, I will personally donate $2 to this wonderful charity so that they can spearhead mental health research and to help those families who have been impacted. And for your listeners of Joni Talks, um, if you want to learn more about um, my book, uh, or my website, you can go to sandyyong.com. That's spelled S-A-N-D-Y-Y-O-N-G.com. And if you uh, sign up for my newsletter, I will be sure to send you a copy of my book. Oh, awesome. Thank you, Sandy. That's great. You're welcome. 
Oh, excellent. So, Sandy, thank you so much for uh, joining the show and for all your valuable tips on investing and uh, in stocks and in real estate, and as well your uh, for sharing your stories. I really appreciate it. It was a uh, it was a great show. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me. I, I had an amazing time. Well, Sandy, I had an amazing time as well, and I hope you too, and that you learned something from uh, our conversation. And here are my quick takeaways for you. And here's the first one. There are essentially three ways to invest in the stock markets. That is self-directed investing. This is the most cost-effective way. You set your own uh, portfolio and then you go to a, an online broker, for example. This is what I do. Number two, you can invest through a financial planner or an advisor. This is typically where you go to a bank or another financial institution. And number three, the robo-advisors. I am not too familiar with them because I don't use them simply because I do it, um, because I do the self-directed investing. I have listed a few uh, companies in the show notes, uh, such as Wealthfront or Betterment in the US, and I've listed a few companies in Europe. But yeah, do your own research uh, before you, you use them and see if it's something for you. Another great point that came out of our conversation with Sandy is that she is that she started to read books and get more knowledgeable into the finance world. She read books from financial experts, from experienced investors, such as Warren Buffett or David Lynch, etc. And it is pretty simple. And huh? the more educated you are in the field, here finance, the more comfortable you will become to start investing. And then actually you will realize that it was not hard in the first place. The thing is that banks or financial companies, institutions will make it look and sound complicated to invest in the stock markets, to enter in the finance world with complicated wording and specific jargon because they want to appear as experts to you so they can sell the products where they get a commission on and get a piece of the cake as well. So do yourself and myself a favor, set a goal of reading two or three good financial books in 2020 and your knowledge will be far superior than anyone at your local bank. Another key point to bear in mind when investing is to not follow the news, or I should say the hype, around certain trends or specific stocks. For example, yeah, Tesla is one that makes the headlines every time. Uh, we also recently had the cannabis stocks, etc., cryptocurrencies. I mean, these can be fantastic ideas, and I'm sure that early investors have gained exponential returns. That's not a problem, but it's just like, don't buy into the stocks just because everybody's talking about it in the news, around you, etc. Do your own research and see if it's something for you or not, and see if you can tolerate the risk. Another common wrong belief about investing in the stock markets is that it is like gambling. This is totally wrong in my opinion, as I said during the episode, but I understand where it comes from. It comes from movies, from medias, from headlines in the newspaper, etc., which helps to perpetrate this image. And the last misconception for investing is that it's often mistaken for trading. And both approaches are fine, as long as you know what you're getting into. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at Johnny Talks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening, and I'll speak to you next time.